we're going to begin a series on the scripture and this afternoon I would like to to preach on the importance of scripture in sanctification the importance of scripture in sanctification have you ever asked yourself why do I need the Bible or as anyone ever asked you why do you need your Bible the first chapter and the first paragraph of the 1689 London Baptist Confession says the Holy Scripture is the only sufficient certain and infallible rule of all saving knowledge faith and obedience we need the Bible because the Bible alone can save us the Bible alone as the confession says is sufficient it is certain it is infallible it contains everything that we ever need what a wonderful book it is its contents are certain and secure there's nothing unshakable or untrue about it the Bible is not like this world this world is facing uncertainty and insecurities be it political social economical but scripture we have a rock of stability certainty that can never be moved the Bible is infallible to mean that the Bible is incapable of error no other revelation in this world other than the Bible the Bible is inspired Word of God Proverbs chapter 30 verse 5 says every word of God is flawless during the Reformation the reformers came up with five solas to the glory of God alone grace alone faith alone Christ alone and scripture alone scripture alone is the belief that because scripture is God's inspired word it is the only inerrant sufficient and final authority for the church Paul reminded Timothy when he's preparing him for ministry that it was the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ second Timothy chapter 3 verse 15 it's only the Bible that can give you the wisdom that you need for salvation that's why you need the Bible the Bible reveals to us the way of salvation the Bible is a book that contains inspired words we believe in verbal inspiration the Bible are words that come out of the mouth of God the Bible is breathed out by God so if I come to this wonderful book with my own understanding I'll never understand it it requires the Holy Spirit to understand the scripture the Bible says the natural person does not accept the things of God sorry the, uh, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him and is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned first Corinthians chapter 2 verse 14 they cannot understand the Holy Scripture because Scripture is spiritually discerned 
This is a supernatural book that needs supernatural help for understanding. The Spirit of God must illumine the scripture in my mind to receive it. So if someone were to come to our assembly, listen to our preaching without the Holy Spirit in their heart, he will sit back and not accept what we are preaching. They will say, this is foolishness. They will not understand why we can come here the whole day and sit under the preaching of his word, of God's word. This book testifies that they are peculiar strangers to the grace of God. So how does the scripture work to sanctify us? If indeed the scripture is God-breathed, it is inspired, it is infallible, it is authoritative. What's the role of scripture in sanctifying the believer? Let's look at First Peter. First Peter chapter 1. Before we look at First Peter chapter 1 verse 20 from verse 22. Let me begin by saying that we are all born spiritually dead. We are born separate from God. It's easy for us to hold a baby and look at look how cute and cool they are and even angelic they can be but those children are born spiritually dead we should never think of children who are born cute and cool that is the world that changes them that they transition from innocence to sinners they enter the world spiritually dead Ephesians chapter 2 verse 3 says among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Every one of us is born spiritually dead. That is the problem. So what is the solution? Because we are born spiritually dead, we need a second birth. That second birth is what is referred to as salvation. Pastor Eric preached from John chapter 3 and Jesus answered Nicodemus and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That is verse 3. One physical birth is what we enter into the world. But we enter spiritually dead. And we continue to be spiritually dead until we have a second birth, which is a spiritual birth, a heavenly birth, and that is salvation. Everyone must be born again. So what happens when you are born again? What happens after our second birth? We receive Jesus Christ. We are born again. Just as an infant is born, that is not the end of the infant. We know that the infant needs to be fed. The infant needs to be taken care of so that they can grow and mature into adulthood. And that is the same with us in our salvation. We become saved again, and that's not the end of the matter. We need to be fed, we need to be taken care of in order to grow into maturity. And everyone in this room is in desperate need of spiritual growth. Nobody has fully arrived 
in their spiritual walk. That means that everyone of us here struggles with sin. And so we need to take this need of sanctification very seriously. So we all have spiritual problems. Everyone is struggling in one thing or the other. Even the person who, um, who is the longest in their salvation still suffers because of the spiritual problem. So how does that sanctification take place? The Bible tells us to grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the only way that can happen is through the word. So if you've turned to First Peter chapter 1, I'll read from verse 22 to chapter 2, verse 2. Sorry, I'll read from verse 22 to chapter 2, verse 2. Uh, verse two. So I'll read. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth of a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its gl glory like the flower of the grass. The grass with us and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tested that the Lord is good. So Peter is talking here about growing in the pure spiritual milk of the word. But before that, he tells us in verse 23 that how are we born again? We were born again not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. How are we born again? Through the living and abiding word of God. It's God who saved you. But how did God save you? He saved you through the living and enduring word. It was the scriptures that were expounded to you, showing you that you have sinned against a holy and a righteous God, that you have fallen short of the glory of God. It was this word shared to you, telling you that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin. It was this same word that saved you. But again, we can say that it's not the word that saves you. It is God saving you through his word. So verse 24, he goes on to, to say that the word is more permanent and more important than other things in life. He says, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass with us and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. The word of God is more vital, more important. It's more to be cherished than anything else. It's different from all flesh from all flesh so it's through the bible through the word of god that you came to know jesus christ even those who cannot reckon the time and the place they became christians they were born again through the living 
and abiding word. So when you're saved through the living and the abiding word, we should not be surprised that it is the same word that God uses in your sanctification. So look at verse, uh, chapter 2 verse 1. Uh, so, sorry, the end of uh, chapter 1. But the word of the Lord remains forever and this word is the good news that was preached to you. And then uh, chapter 2. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. So you become a Christian. The command here is to, put, to do what? Put away all sin. All those kinds of sin mentioned there. And then he says, verse 2, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tested that the Lord is good. So the Bible says that we need the pure spiritual milk of the word so that what can happen? We may grow. The word of God is pure, it's perfect, it's not adulterated, it doesn't contain any impurities. And just as babies need milk to grow, Christians need the word of God to grow. So we need the word of God for sanctification. This is talking about progressive sanctification. It's through the word that we change and we grow and we become more like Christ. So it begins at salvation, but it continues progressively over time. So for example, you've seen children whom you've not seen for a long time. And when you meet them, you realize how much they have grown. But if you're around them every day, you certainly will not notice it. So just like a little child growing, we also grow progressively in our sanctification. This is how people change. The new life happens in a specific period of time. But sanctification happens over a period of your lifetime. So there's no one here who is not in need of more sanctification. Verse 2 says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk. To long there is to yearn, is to crave, to crave like an infant yearning for milk. That infant, when they are hungry in the middle of the night and they begin to cry, you begin to hope that they will stop and sleep. But they cry and cry and cry because they desperately want milk. They cannot stop because they desperately yearn for milk. So that if you give them a toy, if you sing a song to them, that is not what they need. They'll continue to cry. So that a small creature can keep awake a family of 10 if they're not given the milk that they, that they want. That's the same way we are told to long and to desire for the word of God. We must crave for this spiritual milk of what? Why? So that we might grow in our progressive sanctification. And as the baby grows, the mother seeks to have a schedule to feed them. We too, Christians, ought to plan ourselves 
to schedule a time to read the scriptures every day. It's through a regular scheduled time in scripture that we are trained, just like the baby is trained. So the first point is we need the scripture to grow. And then secondly, we need the scripture to sanctify us. So how does this growth happen? How, how, how do we grow? Please turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. This passage tells us of the importance of scripture in our sanctification. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. I'll read. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Notice the word, and we all. Very specific. This is, the context here is of Moses, but he's telling the Corinthians that this is not true of certain people like Moses alone. This is true of all Christians. He says, and we all. So Paul is doing here a contrast between the old covenant and the new covenant. And he's talking about how things used to be. And he's comparing how much things have been better since Christ came. And we all, he's talking about everybody. But notice in verse 7, if you go back a bit, verse 7, he's talking about the, 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 the old covenant and he calls it the ministry of death. He says, now if the ministry of death carved in letters of, on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? So he's saying, the old covenant came with such glory. So you know what happened in Exodus 34. Described how Moses used to fellowship with God. And he says, when Moses was coming down from Mount Sinai, he did not know that the skin of his face shone. Because he had been talking with God. And people were afraid to come near him. So Moses was the only person who got the opportunity to go up and personally talk with God. So when he was finished, his face was glowing so that he had to put a veil on his face because the Israelites could not handle it. So back then it was Moses who saw the glory of God. And Paul says in verse 8 of Second Corinthians chapter 3, he says, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? And then he says, the passage, verse 18, and we all, again, with unveiled face. KJV says, all with open face. So it's not like Moses, who had to put a veil on his face, but 
the veil has, has been removed through Jesus Christ. So that when you look at chapter 4, verse 3, he's talking about non-believers. Chapter 4, verse 3, he's talking about non-believers and he says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So every unsaved person has a veil over his face. But the moment you come to Christ, the veil is taken away. So when the veil is taken away, what happens? You behold the glory of God. So when you're beholding, you're taking a serious look. So how are we able to behold the glory of God? It is by looking at the scripture, looking at the mirror, looking at the word of God. The word is the mirror. So how do you know the word is the mirror of God? So if you look at verse 14 of chapter 3, he says, verse 14 of chapter 3, 2 Corinthians says, but their minds were hardened for to this day when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. So they read the old covenant, the Old Testament, the Bible, but they could not understand. So the Bible is the mirror, but that veil was still there. So when we became Christians, the veil was taken away so that when we read the scriptures, our hearts are no longer hardened we can understand, we can receive it. So, we are beholding the glory of the Lord because we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We are able to see the glory of the Lord. So, we are not reading a book so that we can complete it in a year. We are not reading a book so that we can know the names of the kings of Israel. Even though all that is fine, we are reading the book so that we can look to the glory of the Lord. So when you're reading the Bible, you're looking to see what God is like. When you read the Bible, ask yourself, what is God like? So what do I mean when I say you behold the glory of God? In Exodus 33, verse 18 to 19, Moses tells God, please show me your glory. God tells him, I will make my goodness pass before you. So God tells me, tells him, if you want to see my glory, I will show you what? My goodness. It means that if you want to see the glory of God, you have to look at his attributes. You have to see his perfections. And that's why when we teach about the attributes as Pastor Eric has done, it's because it's through the attributes that you see the glory of God. You spend a lot of time in the Word of God because you want to see what God is like. The more you spend your time in the Scriptures, the more what happens? The more you see the result in the second part of verse 18 of chapter 3. Look at what happens when you continually spend your time in Scripture. Second part of verse 18, And we all with veiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, what happens? Are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes 
from the Lord who is the Spirit. KJV says, we are changed into the same image from glory to glory. So it doesn't mean that when you read the Bible and man, you, be, you, you are instantly transformed. That's not the case. Transformed into what? Transformed into the same image. Whose image? The image of the Lord Jesus Christ. So how do I grow in grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ? How do I become less of me and more of Christ? By spending time reading, studying, meditating on the word of God. Only then can I behold the glory of God. So as you read your Bible, something supernatural is happening. You're beholding the glory of God. You're being continually transformed. That is what happens when you're consistent with the study of scripture. You spend quality time in the word. You don't have to tell anybody. If you train strenuously in the gym, consistently for two years, do you need to tell people that you go to the gym? No. People will know that you exercise, that you keep fit. In the same case, if you study the scriptures consistently, the scriptures changes you. And people can, can see that. It, it, obviously, you will not be perfect. But people can notice the change taking place. So you don't change yourself. It is God who transforms you through the word. So how does that change happen? It, it, it happens from one degree of glory to another, from glory to glory. God transforms you by his Holy Spirit. And every believer needs change and growth. You see, this church is not a museum. This is a hospital. That's because we dress modest, modestly and nicely. We behave ourselves in a church setting. We put our best foot forward. I'm not saying anything is wrong with that. It's easy to think that we have everything all together, that we are fine. There's not a person in this room who has it all together. We are all desperately in need of progressive sanctification. You must grow much more. Me too. None of us is even close to where we ought to be. And we have to be honest and admit that we desire to grow. So, why is the word of God important to us? The first point, as I've said, we grow through the word of God. And then secondly, we are being sanctified through the word of God. And then thirdly, the word of God is effective in piercing and analytically exposing our heart. So how does the mechanism of sanctification work? So the baby drinks milk and the milk has nutritional value for the body on a cellular level. So you get in the word and the word helps you to specifically grow. So the third point is the word of God is effective in piercing and analytically exposing our heart. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. 
Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 the word of the Lord says for the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and of spirit of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart and no creature is hidden from his sight but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account so the word of god is living sorry Sorry for that. So the word of God is a living word. The scripture only makes sense because Jesus Christ is the living word. Second Corinthians chapter three, verse three. So God speaks through the word. And you shall not be surprised at all that the words come out of the living God and the words are living so the word of God is living and then he says it is active Isaiah 55 verse 11 says so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth it shall not return to me empty but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The word of God is active. God tells Jeremiah, the prophet, in Jeremiah 23, verse 29, Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. So God's word is active. It is doing something. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. What does a sword do? It cuts. So if you are in a war contest, you'll want a sword that is double-edged so that you can swing it either way. The word of God is active, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit. Piercing means it's, it's powerful. It splits open. So why do I need the word of God to pierce and analytically expose my heart as part of my spiritual growth? The answer is in verse 12. You see, the word of God says there pierces to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You see, the, God, the word of God is the ultimate critic. What does the word of God do in the life of a believer? It splits your heart wide open. It, is, it strikes you not as good and not as bad. In a way that no other thing will do. 
the word of God does work in your heart in a way that no one will know except you. So for example, I asked you, I ask you, what are you thinking when you come to church? What's the reason you're in church? You see, I do not know, only you know. I can guess, but you see, I cannot know why you do what you do. And you cannot know why I do what I do. Sometimes you can know, sometimes you cannot know. Why? Because the heart is deceitful above all else. Who can know it? So you can come to a church thinking that you are glorifying God. Yet, your heart has deceived you. And that's why you should be able to spend your time in scripture. Because the scripture is your critic. You are able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of your heart. What's the reason why you give? Without the word of God exposing the thoughts and the intentions of the heart, you could be self-deceived. You could be doing spiritual things. But things that are not glorifying to God. And that's why you need the word of God to expose your heart. Verse 13 says we are naked before God's eye when we spend our time in his word. The word of God pierces my heart. It leaves you defenseless. It is your critic. Because God speaks to you through his word. And then the word there, discerning. Discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It means that the word of God lays bare. It's a picture of of it's, it's in reference of a, of a wrestling match. And a man wrestling holds his opponent to the throat and is about to kill him. So it's a word that refers to animal sacrifice. You hold that animal by the throat and you want to kill it. And the animal is helpless and it can do nothing. That's what the word of God does. It holds you by the throat and you're defenseless. It lays everything bare in your life. So, why did you come to church? What was your reason? Why are you here? Some people may say it's, it's a habit. This is what I always do on Sunday. It's okay to have good habits. Someone else may say, it's my responsibility as a member of the church. And that's totally fine. Someone else may say, there's nothing else to do on Sunday. Someone else may say, I love to sing hymns. Someone else may say, I am lonely and I'm looking for friends. Maybe there's truth in all those reasons. But why did you come to church? What's the biblical reason? If you look at Hebrews chapter 10, help you see the biblical reason for coming to church. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25. The Bible says, Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So when God's people come to worship, we should not forsake the assembly of one another. 
So you've come to church not only to receive a blessing, not only to be ministered to, but also to give a blessing to others. Look at verse 24, just before that verse. He says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. I do not come to church only to hear the word of God preached to me. But I come to church, verse 24 says, so that I can stimulate others to love and good deeds. So if I have to be faithful to the scripture, I've come to TRBC and say to God, will you please use me to reach out to my brothers and sisters in Christ and encourage them in love and good deeds. We should come to church to give and to pour our lives to others. You come here so that you can know how to pray for others during the week. So how are you able to stir up one another to love and good deeds? It could be simple things like saying thank you. Thank you for your labors. Thank you for serving us. What does that do? It stirs up one another to love and good. It stimulates, it motivates the brother or the sister to continue, serve, to continue serve, uh, serving God's people. So this is God's word cutting us and changing us. The word of God is like a sword. It cuts through your heart. And then lastly, the fourth importance of the word of God, God's word changes us to mature believers. So we grow through the word of God. We are being sanctified through the word of God. The word of God is effective in piercing and analytically exposing our heart. And then fourthly, God's word changes us to mature believers. So how, let's turn to first, uh, Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. I'll read. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The word of God does what teaches us. It says there, teaches us on what? On right and wrong. The word of God reproof. The word reprove means conviction. It shows someone their sin. The word of God causes them to repent. So you should be faithful when the word of God convicts you. And then thirdly, it's important for what? Correction. So the word of God changes me, restores me, reforms me. So do you like to be corrected? Nearly all of us do not like to be corrected. But the word of God corrects us. And often you may think that you're fine until you read the word of God and it exposes you. It corrects you. And then he says, for training in righteousness. It is a word that has to do with children training. So for children, you have to instruct them, you have to guide them, you have to train them to do the right thing. That's what the scripture does. It guides you, it instructs you into that which is right. So how does that happen? 
So how does that happen? It's because the word of God lays me bare and then it convicts me, it corrects me. And this can only happen by the grace of God if we spend time delighting in his word every day. So that if you don't spend time in the word of God, you'll be off track. And this is true of pastors. This is true of members. This is true of everyone. None of us has arrived in this life. We need to be in this book on a daily basis. The Bible says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. This man pro prospers. Why? Because he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in seasons, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. So spend time in the word of God for you to have a blessed life. If you're not consistently spending the, uh, your time in the word of God, today is the best day to begin. Even our constitution says that we should have personal devotion, family devotion. So if you're doing it, it's by God's grace. And by God's grace, may you continue. If you don't have a scheduled Bible reading plan, by God's grace, will you consider to do that? Be faithful in reading God's word. Be faithful in having a scheduled, specific time of the day. Maybe in the morning, maybe, maybe at noon, maybe in the evening. Whatever works well with you. Where you can spend time looking at his word. Because the Bible says, we grow as we behold God's glory in his word. And there's a lot of things to meditate on. We have finished the book of James. We have finished the book of Jonah. We finished the book of Galatians. There's so many messages out there for you to listen. So there's power in God breathed word. The word of God is active and living. And you must crave it just like a child craves for milk. Let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that we might not be, you may help us not to be merely hearers, but also doers of it. Forgive us for the times we've neglected it, for the times we've not walked in your ways, Lord. Help us that we will behold your glory, being transformed from glory to glory by looking at the scriptures. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.